I grew up in a three-bedroom house with my mom, my two brothers, and my little sister in Fort Wayne, Indiana. It was pretty cramped, and it had carpet running throughout the whole house, bathroom and kitchen included. It wasn't anyone's dream home, but it was our home. You know those free real estate magazines that would be at the entrance of the grocery store? My mom would always pick up three or four of them on her way out. And on most Sundays, we'd sit in her bed, she'd give us different colored markers, and tell us to circle our dream homes. The houses my brother and I would pick would have really cool features, like a basketball court in the backyard, or a living room that was big enough for a really tall Christmas tree. And my mom would ask us questions about these houses, like, what would you make the extra room? Would you be married in that house? Would you have kids? What kind of job would you need to live in a house like that? When I think about it now, those houses helped us imagine what our future success might look like. That's what my mom was trying to do. And that's what this episode is about. Our ideas about what signifies a successful life and how they're changing. I'm Ashley C. Ford, and this is Fortune Favors the Bold, a branded podcast from MasterCard and Gimlet Creative. In this episode, we'll tell the story of how one immigrant's idea of the American dream has shifted, dramatically. And then we'll take it a step further, asking how millennials see success today, in the U.S. and globally. Because that dream house with the sweet basketball court in the backyard, it's not really a sign we've made it anymore. It's not the money or the car or the house or if I'm able to send my you know, kids to a great college. It's about the freedom to pursue, flexibility, and, and, uh, and choices. That's Bob Miglani. And Bob's idea of success wasn't always about the freedom to choose what to do with his time. When he was just a nine-year-old kid coming to America from India, he thought it meant... To have money, to have a, you know, all these sort of things that we didn't have. We didn't have any of these things. Like many immigrant families before them, Bob and his family came here with the hope for a better life with more opportunities, a better education, a chance to achieve the American dream. And to achieve this American dream, they thought they had to follow a formula. Which was work hard, create value, and you'll be okay. And Bob's parents worked really, really hard. They spent years working unstable odd jobs, just trying to make ends meet. And eventually, they were able to buy a Dairy Queen franchise in New Jersey. And Bob and his sisters, who were living very American teenage lives, it was their time to start working really, really hard. You know, my sisters and I, we worked at that Dairy Queen seven days a week. I missed football games, I missed the prom, and so did my sisters. And we had to go there all the time. We needed to help contribute to the family. So Bob worked all through high school, and eventually he went to college, but he stayed nearby so that after class he could help close the store. And as he dipped cone after cone, he daydreamed about a job where he could travel, wear a suit. He wanted more. I remember going to college, showing up in a pair of jeans that had hot fudge stains on them. I remember I went to my dorm room and I hated those hot fudge stains. And so I took some bleach with a towel and I 
rub my jeans. And of course, the jean got stained. And so, you know, the Dairy Queen was this, it was always this hot fudge on your soul. I mean, you know, it's like leftover hot fudge in your soul. Bob finally got out of the hot fudge biz. He got a promising sales job at a large pharmaceutical company, and it seemed to Bob like now everything was on track. And it was my ticket, I, I suppose, to, to a better life. I became a number one sales rep. And I remember in the 90s, it was a big deal to win a Mont Blanc pen. It's a black pen with a, a gold ring around the middle. And then at the top of the pen is a little white uh, you know, piece to it. And that little white piece represents the Swiss Alps. And that pen cost about $100. It was the symbol of success. And the formula, the formula he grew up believing was the way to achieve the American dream, it was working. He was getting raises, climbing the corporate ladder. He had a family at this point, too. A wife, two kids. He was traveling the world. He had a company car. He had that Mont Blanc pen. But then, in 2007, the almighty recession hit. I would go into work in the morning, swipe my corporate ID, and I would cross my fingers in hoping the green light would turn on because we didn't know if we had a job you walked in to work. Even the hardest of workers started to get laid off. And all this certainty about his formula that Bob and his parents, and honestly, a lot of Americans had been banking on, he wasn't sure it added up anymore. At one point, it was late at night. We had just put our second daughter to bed. And uh, I remember I'd gotten the bill for the daycare. I'd gotten, you know, the bills for my wife's business. And the second daughter, the baby, was giving us a difficult time. And, you know, when you're exhausted, you're not thinking straight. And I remember sitting with my wife in bed about 1130 at night. And both of us just were very emotional and started crying because like, oh my God, this is so hard. We're sitting in that bed looking at the future and we saw no hope. There was a lot of uncertainty and that uncertainty, I, I couldn't get it. That I, I couldn't understand while I had been so successful following a certain formula and then real world and, and change happens and turbulence happens and then you're confronted with this idea that there is no formula. Bob didn't end up losing his job during the recession, but he did eventually decide to quit that job because all that uncertainty it made him reevaluate what it meant to be successful. It was shifting away from his parents' version of success and more towards his own definition. My mom's car had broken down some years ago, and she needed to buy a new car. And so I said, are you kidding me? Really? It's so expensive. She goes, I want that. And she pointed to the round metallic symbol on the hood of the Mercedes car that is, you know, known world over. And she said, I want that. She worked so hard, you know, seven days a week, 350 days a year, working at the Dairy Queen for over 20, you know, 20, 30 years. And I realized that to her marked success. 
And it all goes back to, you know, when we came to America in the first place with this notion of, you know, freedom, freedom of choice, freedom of choosing your time is really important. To me, the success factor is time to spend with people that I want to spend with and to pursue the kind of interests that I have to pursue. Bob has now changed his life to fit his new ideas about success. He's found a new job much closer to home so he can spend more time with his daughters and less time commuting. And he also now has time to fulfill one of his passions, writing. Following your passions, choosing to spend time with people you want to spend time with, Bob is not the only one defining success that way. Millennials are too. Coming up after the break, we're going to meet a man whose career involves talking with millennials all over the world. Stay tuned. You're listening to Fortune Favors the Bold, brought to you by MasterCard. This episode is all about how people are redefining what it means to be successful. To me, success means having the opportunity to fulfill your potential, not scoring some job with a fancy title and corner office. For more than 20 years, MasterCard's priceless campaign has spread this same message, that the most important things in life simply can't be bought. And now, MasterCard is looking to drive a brand movement centered on empowering people in their pursuit of passion and purpose. A spin on the iconic Priceless campaign. It's called Start Something Priceless, reminding and inspiring all of us to do something that moves us, to take an action and maybe even create change. We wanted to know how our friends and colleagues were doing something priceless this year. So we asked them. So I'm on an email listserv called Get Her Elected for like female candidates. Um, so one of the candidates, we had a lovely little chat just about social media best practices and was able to just kind of answer some of her questions and talk her through a few things for her campaign. One thing I'm going to do is I'm going to start taking all of our compost waste to like a, we have a local neighborhood composting facility. I um, did sign up to be a big sister for the Big Brother Big Sister program. I helped uh, some refugee teens in Greece make a film last year. You want to do that again this year? Yeah, I want to do it with like some kids around me in my local neighborhood. I donated a few coats the other week. Um, I think that will make an impact. Fuel a passion, create a moment, launch a movement. Start something priceless. To learn more, visit newsroom.mastercard.com. That's newsroom.mastercard.com. And we're back. Now we're going to hear from John Della Volpe. John's a director of polling at Harvard University's Institute of Polling. And for the past 18 years, he's been traveling the world, trying to understand how millennials' ideas and values around success are shifting. He's found that millennials want to pursue the things that you care about and be able to live in, in a place where they have flexibility to, to spend and share time with friends and family, etc., so when people talk about things like the dream house, the dream car, the white picket fence, those aren't still symbols of success for most millennials? Not at all. Those are symbols of success for the parents and grandparents of millennials and 
most millennials are wise enough now to know that those tangible assets are one measure, but not the most important measure of success today. Instead of these tangible assets, millennials think a lot about the impact that they're having in their working community. It has less to do with paycheck, although that's incredibly important, obviously, but the feeling that they're making a difference, actually feeling that they're doing something that their parents and their friends can be proud of. That is a key marker of success. I've seen it in most every survey that I've conducted of this generation and others as well. John credits that interest in making a difference, at least in America, in part to community service programs in many high schools, which got young people hooked on the feeling of doing good. He says that another important marker of success for young people is freedom to travel. Instead of saving their money for a house or a car, millennials are choosing to spend it on experiences. That's what I do. My fiance and I have been very lean with our finances these past few months. We're saving for our epic honeymoon. Scotland, England, France. It's gonna be really dope. And sure, a car or a house might be nice, It just doesn't seem like a reality. I mean, I live in New York City. And it's not just me. Millennials are in significant college debt. 300% more in debt than their parents. The cost of housing in most major cities is more expensive than it's ever been before. So... Do we value experiences over things as millennials just because we're, like, broke? (laughs) Like, is that what's driving the shift? I think one thing that's driving the shift is the impact that the Great Recession had. When so many millennials were teenagers or in their early 20s, and they saw their parents and their friends and other adults who were worked so hard and saved so long for retirement and having, in many cases, the kind of the rug ripped out from under them, especially the younger millennials. They've been raised in a time where we see severe anxiety. And we see now that a majority of them have more fear than hope about America's future. A majority of them believe that the American dream for them is dead. And that cuts across so many aspects of their life. So John says, yeah, this shift in values is in part because of our economic anxiety. I was 21 during the recession, and I watched all my friends graduate college and really struggle to find their footing. And it wasn't that they couldn't find jobs they wanted. They couldn't find jobs at all. People were sad angry, and mostly shocked by how their lives looked nothing like how they'd pictured. And I do think seeing that made me appreciate these things I have internally. Like the ability to make an impact, the ability to follow my passions. And that is how I measure my success. John's research saw a very drastic shift in American millennials' ideas about success. And he started to wonder, Is this shift a particularly American phenomenon? John interviewed 1,998 millennials across 20 countries throughout the Americas, Europe, Africa, Middle East, North Africa, and Asia. Y'all, John was busy. And he found that, yes, in every country, having a job that benefits society 
and having flexibility to balance work and home life were important markers of success. Instead of choosing jobs primarily based on salary, millennials are considering impact all around the world. By and large, you know, young people, whether it's in Africa, South America, Asia, where we've conducted research throughout Europe, the idea of being connected, the idea of having an impact, the idea of being proud of your work, of working with people across cultures, uh, across disciplines, are among the, the common values that I think kind of connect young people. All around the world, dream homes with basketball courts are just not as important as making an impact on the world. That's pretty incredible. And as a millennial, I'm proud. But if this is true, why is everyone so hard on millennials? It seems like every other thing I read online is someone hating on millennials. We get accused of killing a lot of industries and ideas and thoughts, and it seems a little vicious. Or am I just taking it personally? No, I think it's a lot. I think it's 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 vicious, but... Um... I think that kind of their heart is good. I think they they ask for opportunities and they ask for people to be to be treated equally, you know, regardless of where you come from or what you look like. Those are the underlying values that they have and they measure success by the impact that they're able to have on society. You know what? Thank you for being so positive <laughs> about millennials. Thank you for that. I don't think that Millennials are necessarily asking for too much. What they really want is the ability to kind of pursue what they're passionate about. And that, by the way, that could be the idea of becoming a, a high school history teacher in the town where they grew up. Everyone has like a teacher that like makes them love school. I had a really great teacher. He was just like fun. He like went to Woodstock and would like tell the stories. It made me care. That's Jay Garish, or Mr. Garish, if you're a student at Brian McMahon High School in Norwalk, Connecticut. He's 24, and after college, he got his dream job. He's been teaching for almost two years. And Jay is, of course, a millennial. And just like John Delavope says, having this job that he's passionate about, that makes an impact, that's what makes Jay feel happy and successful. Where do I go from here? I ask myself that all the time. And honestly, it's like, I don't know. You know, it's it's interesting because I think because we're sort of brought up to sort of see success as a materialistic thing, I think it's difficult to sort of shift away from that. But like materialistically, it's like I, I don't really have any particular aspirations with that. Like I'm not necessarily pushing for a home. Can I have one of my kids move on to do something like really cool and meaningful, you know? I think that would sort of be success. Mr. Garish's students are getting to the age where they have to start thinking about what's next. Do they go to college? Do they want to get right into the workforce? Do they want to be a singer, an NFL player? I was curious how our next generation viewed success. So our producers, Caitlin and Carrie Ann, visited Mr. Garish's class for an afternoon. My class is U.S. history, um, mostly sophomores, so 10th graders, 15-year-olds, some juniors, and I think one senior in the class. So I wonder if you could just introduce yourself. Well, my name is James. In my perspective, I think prosperity means being happy. I think prosperity means 
Well, some people might think it means having a lot of money, but somebody can have a lot of money and not be happy about it. I'm Jada. What makes me happy is my family and my friends, honestly. And um, the American dream means to me, it just, it means to me take risks in anything I do. Um, for me, it means like, I don't know, jumping off a plane with a parachute, you know? What's your name? My name is Damien. My American dream is for all people to have equal rights to education, being able to live in a home they would like, have easy access to food, and for everyone to be treated equally. You seem like you could maybe run for office. I'm not going to deny that. So maybe one day you'll be running for senator, president. What do you envision? Senator would be a nice uh, spot. You know what? I feel hopeful for the future, under Senator Damien. If someone had asked me what success meant when I was in high school, I would have said something like having my own house where all my own stuff wouldn't be touched by my siblings. But these guys, they talked about taking risks, helping others, and mostly freedom to fulfill their potential. And when I think back to sitting on my mom's bed circling the dream houses in the catalog, imagining an 11-foot Christmas tree in my indoor basketball court, I realize now it was never really about the house. It wasn't even about the basketball court. It was about imagining the happy person I could be in that house, a future me who could choose how to define my own success. Fortune Favors the Bold is a branded podcast from MasterCard and Gimlet Creative. This episode was produced by Carrie Ann Thomas, Caitlin Boguki, Oluwakimi Aladasui, Rachel Jacobs, and Jorge Estrada. Nazanin Rafsajani is our creative director, and Sarah Geis is our editor. Katherine Anderson mixed this episode, and technical direction was from Zach Schmidt. Have you been enjoying our show so far? If so, let us know. Find us on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about the show, too. I'm Ashley C. Ford, and Fortune Favors the Bold will be back in two weeks. See you next time.